Sweet. Kia ora, everybody. Tonight's podcast, we are joined with a hometown local out of the Mighty Bay of Plenty, ranked number one in a 56-kilometre radius of where he lives, the one and only John Dusto. Welcome, JD. Thank you, brothers. Um, I just got a little bit of information before we did start that he is now ranked number one in New Zealand for touch, so congratulations, mate. Thanks for that. Um, before we do dive into it, we'd just like to say a massive thank you to Bay Penny Rugby Union as well as Acme Whistles for our partnership and contribution to bring these cracking podcasts off the ground. But now I'm going to head it over to you, Sean, and give us some facts, mate. Sweet, yeah. Um, courtesy of Cam Russell for the intro and facts. So John Dusto is the former is the former first class referee and the TMO last year from last year's NBC Premiership final. Um, also an ex-police officer and KFC's most regular customer. Um, the only person to hold a premium KFC membership in New Zealand. So welcome, JD. Um, and hear me, mate. Go on the quick fire. Uh, thanks for that, Shawnee boy. Um, probably the most anticipated um, segment of the whole podcast, um, the quick fire section. So no mucking around here. JD, traditional question. Metal yeah. or plastic uh, Acme whistle? That's not even close, brothers. It's got to be the metals. Absolute metal. If you're refereeing with a plastic whistle, then you need to take a long, hard look at yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right, mate. And, and here's, the, here's the question you've been waiting for. What's your go-to KFC order? Two-piece quarter pack thigh combination upgrade to the lard with Coke, no sugar as the drink. Crikey, too. Doesn't change. <laughs> <laughs> it does not change, and uh, I'll be honest with you, when I was um, regularly visiting KFC, the local KFC knew my order, I wouldn't even have to um, stop an order at the drive-thru. <laughs> is, 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 um, is that why you had to retire from the uh, senior squad? Well, I haven't retired, what are you talking about? Retire from <laughs> you should retire, but hey, we won't. <laughs> <laughs> That's a rumour that happens after every year. I get people come up to me, I heard you retire. No, I haven't retired. <laughs> All right, mate. Um, do you prefer touch or fifteens or maybe even sevens? Oh, that's a, that's a really tough question because I, I like both sports for its own individual um, characteristics. Um, so I guess when I'm refereeing rugby and it's winter, um, I put everything into rugby, and that's my favourite. Um, but in the summer and I'm refereeing touch, then uh, you know I'm fully immersed into that. So um, it's hard to pick one, and I know there'd be people on both camps watching this, waiting for that anticipation uh, and in, in anticipation. But no, I'm not going to give give a direct answer to that. So what did you um start first? Did you start touch first or rugby first or? It was quite quite funny. My very first sport I refereed was at age six in Japan, um, netball. Um, I, it was funny enough. Um, for those who don't know, I was uh, born and raised in Japan, uh, and uh, we had an English or Kiwi person come over and come to our primary school, and I was interpreting um, for him, and um, he, he wanted to bring netball to the school, um, and I had no idea. I didn't know what this game was. Uh, and I said, do you need a referee? And he goes, not really. And I said, sweet, I'm your man, I'll referee it. Uh, and I didn't know the rules, but I ref my first game was refereed was um, was uh, netball. And then uh, I refereed rugby um, as a non-qualified person when I was um, aged 14, 15. And I'll, I can talk about that later on. Um, but then touch, my first, well, um, not professional because we don't get paid to referee touch, but uh, my first national game was at in touch. Mm. Interesting. So in saying that, mate, what's your best memory today as a referee? Oh, yeah. Oh, look, I've refereed a lot, a lot of games in both codes. So um, a couple stick, stick to mind, obviously, uh, refereeing my first um, test match uh, in touch and listening to the, to the national anthem that's always special um, getting my jersey my um, New Zealand jersey from Bryce Lawrence um, when I first made the national squad that was special but one that really um, comes to mind is I was refereeing a uh, first class game in Tonga uh, it was the local um, Tongan um, uh, rugby championship and there were uh, it was a Nukualofa uh, and the two teams were bitter rivals um, they hated each other from different villages uh, and the uh, the away team had won the competition ten years running, um, and so the, the the home team were 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 actually uh, underdogs, 
Uh, and there were 20 to 25,000 people then. If you've ever been to the um, islands, 20,000 people sounds like 100,000 people. It was just absolutely insane. And uh, the full-time hooter went and the home team were down by four points. Um, and they and they drove and they pick and go and they pick and go and they scored. And that that gave them the win. The first time they'd beaten this team in like 10 years. And the crowd just erupted and it was a, uh, and there was a crowd invasion. And if you can imagine 20,000 Jonah Lomas running at you, I'll tell you what, I'll tell you now, I don't get scared very much, but in this case, I didn't know who was a friend and who was a foe. These guys have muscles on their muscles and they didn't care. And people were trying to lift me up, grab me. Um, I, I was then grabbed by three people and just uh, whisked away. And I thought, this is it. I've been kidnapped. It's over. Um, but they happened to be security. Um, they, we didn't know they were security. They didn't have uniforms or anything. It's just three big guys just dragged me off the field. Uh, and then, I, and then I was just in the in the changing room, just starting to get changed. Everything's all good. Then they came in and said, "Brother John, it's time to go back out." And I said, "I'm not going back out into that. No, you need to referee the conversion, brother." Like, oh no! So, but yeah, long story short, that was something that I'll always cherish. It was just that that insane passion that the people on the islands have, um, yeah. and just from that one decision of awarding the try, uh, you know, I think I'll, I think the crown prince wanted to give me a knighthood, but I'm a humble man, so. I, Oh. <laughs> talk, talk, no show. Yeah, 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 exactly. Look, mate, here's the last question. Um, who's your celebrity crush? Besides yourself. And you do raise a good point. Thank you, Brayden. Um, Brayden, I said celebrity. <laughs> uh, I just need to look and make sure nobody's bloody listening. Um, that's, that's an easy one, really. Um, Absolutely, Lisa Carrington. She is a stunner. And it's not not this old pervy guy thinking, you, you dirty mongrels. Um, but she, she epitomizes high performance with her attitude uh, and her achievements. And I've met her a couple of times. She's one of the nicest people that you'll ever come across and, and still like one of the bros. So, yep, she is absolutely my Lisa Carrington. Oh, sorry, my celebrity crush. Just correct me if I'm wrong, JD, but there was a photo of you and Lisa... And it used to be your profile picture on Facebook. Is that correct? That is correct. So I was at a dinner with her and uh, I had the privilege of uh, sitting there with her. And I'll tell you what, that was, uh, I'm not normally starstruck, but in this case, I was sitting there with my hands on my knees, um, being a good boy. <laughs> oh, cheers for that. That's probably one of my favorite, you know, quick five sections that we've had for a while. So let's um, kick into some serious questions, JD. Give us a little insight into your career that you've had to where you started to where you are now. Yeah, look, like I said, it sort of went off on a bit of a fork. And, and like a lot of, because um, I was a rugby player, first of all, um, as I said, I gave you the story about refereeing when I was a kid uh, when I, in Japan. And But refereeing was never really something that I wanted to do. But every time there was a game that needed refereeing, I would always put my hand up. Uh, and... Um, my first uh, um, rugby refereeing experience was going to watch my uncle play president's grade um, on the North Shore uh, and they didn't have a referee and I would have been 13, 14 years of age, um, played, you know, probably a handful of games of rugby, um, at least didn't, I don't think I'd even finished a season and they said they needed a referee and I said I'd give it a crack. I had no idea of the rules and I did it and they loved it and they sort of um, wanted me to referee every week after that and it sort of planted a seed but as my rugby career went on um, I was making all the rep teams um, MVP in tournaments um, and all that sort of stuff so my, my passion was to be an All Black um, and like you Heath um, you know we all have those sort of dreams that you know and although it seems a long time ago professional rugby was just starting to um, uh, take off in the mid '90s, and and that was my passion to be to be an All Black. Um, but mid '90s, don't you mean mid '80s? <laughs> Sorry, I'm Jesus. having some difficulty here. Is this working? Um, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but but yes, look, and um, so referee wasn't really um, part of it. But the first time I really had, I guess, an opportunity that I now look back and thought I should have taken uh, was uh, my brother, who um, actually ended up being a professional rugby player. Um, was playing in um, rep under 16s at, um, at North Harbour Stadium or on the outer grounds, and they were playing against King Country from memory. And they didn't, and the, ref, and the referee didn't turn up. Uh, and my brother sort of said, "Oh, we don't have a referee." And I said, "I'll oh, tell him. I'll give it a crack." And we're talking about under 16, um, under 16 rep, uh, representative rugby, which normally you'd sort of get your panel two, panel two referees to do. Um, and they said, "Oh, sweet as you can do it." 
um, because literally they had nobody else. So I actually refereed my first, you know, real proper game, apart from the president's, was an under-16 rep game. And at half-time, um, and, there, and there was a few other games going on, Steve Walsh Jr. and um, one of the uh, association members came up to me and said, who are you? Where did you come from? And um, have you refereed before? Like, I've never seen you before. And I said, no, no, this is really my first time. And they said, that's unbelievable. You need to come to referee rugby. Um, and I said, oh, look, really appreciate that. But, um, you know, I'm going to be an all black. Um, and I don't need your token body referees who don't get paid. I'm going to make lots of money being a professional rugby player. Um, and I guess looking back now, I sort of regret that um, because, you know, obviously how life transpired. Um, if I'd, you know, started at that age when I was sort of 18, 19 years of age, who knows where I could have been now. But um, that sort of, I guess, planted the seed that maybe I was reasonably good enough. And then I guess touch came along. Um, so rugby was sort of parked there. Um, I joined the police or just before joining the police, I sort of um, started refereeing touch. And again, that all started because a team needed a touch referee um, at their local module. And I took I took it up and I was in the same module as um, at the time, New Zealand number one. And now one of our top was our number one TMO, Glenn Newman, um, which a lot of you will know. So Glenn Newman took me under his wing as a touch referee. And, um, and after the first year, my second year of refereeing, I refereed at, at the first nationals. Um, and that was in Rotorua. Uh, and and that's, that's really where the touch took off. I joined the police. I sort of gave up sort of rugby because of work and family and so forth. Uh, and it wasn't until, uh, and obviously the touch refereeing was really successful. Um, went to a couple of World Cups, um, really good. And then in 2010, 2011, a former world number one touch referee, Maya Williams, who's a really good friend of mine, said, mate, I'm thinking about refereeing rugby this year. You keen to sort of give it a crack? And this is in Thames Valley. And I was thinking, look, you know, I only really want to do something. I don't want to do something for fun. I only want to do something if I know I can get somewhere. So if I, I'm going to make a goal that I want to referee a first class game within five years. And that was ridiculous. I was 31 years of age. I think it was, you know, most people got to referee about 10 years of rugby before you even get a premier game, let alone a first class game. But I'm competitive and that was my goal. And that first year, uh, I refereed, I think, three or four senior B games. Um, I refereed one premier game. And we're talking about Thames Valley premier, so, so I guess the, the standard wasn't that high. Uh, and at the end of that season, I get a phone call from uh, Vinnie Munro, who was um, at the time the New Zealand um, development, referee development uh, manager. And uh, he said, um, you've been provisionally selected to join the... Um, the National Referee Development Group, which is now included in the national group. And yeah, I couldn't believe it. You know, he said, but it's provisional. Um, we still need to do a couple more games that we want to watch you. Um, but are you keen? I said, yeah, absolutely, I'm keen. So, and that's how, so I'd only literally refereed probably six games of rugby, maybe seven games of rugby um, before I made that squad. And then um, my first, so what I need to do to confirm my position is the following year referee a rep game, uh, Auckland Bees versus Bay of Plenty. So, um, we're talking about, I've only had seven, eight games, probably. I'm not, sorry, by then I would have maybe had a dozen games underneath my belt um, refereeing that game. And if I'd refereed it well, I was in. If I didn't, um, I probably was going to be cut. And the game went really, really well. And the feedback was, it was, it was fantastic. So I got the call up um, and, and confirmed uh, into that squad. And that was, and you know, I'd refereed my first, my first first class game um, within, you know, 18 months of starting refereeing. And, you know, that was certainly something that I was really stoked to do uh, and really, um, you know, proud to be part of. And that sort of kicked off where I am today, um, not necessarily in the refereeing circles because you know, I only really end up doing 20-odd um, first-class games, um, but my opportunities to be involved with the Chiefs um, as their sideline manager. I've done uh, um, four or five test matches as a sideline manager. Uh, I've obviously involved as a TMO and was absolutely privileged enough to um, be appointed to the Mighty 10 Cup Premiership final last year. Um, you know, all that happened because, you know, I decided to, um, to referee rugby. So, you know, I guess long story short, where I am, how it got me to here today is, you know, don't say, never say no, um, always say yes and take up the opportunities. And when you are given the opportunities, take them with both hands. Um, yeah. And, you know, I'm absolutely, absolutely stoked to be where I am today. Um, do I wish I could have done, you know, 200 first class games and 50 test matches? Absolutely. Looking back, I think that was a real possibility if I had taken up Steve Walsh Jr.'s um, advice. Um, but, you know, no regrets.
Yeah, so you, like you touched on, obviously, like you said, a lot of opportunities that you took and you strive to achieve. You know, so you, you've had a good season and I'm sure there's more to come. So, you know, talking about opportunities when you became a police officer, do you think that gave you some sort of edge into refereeing and made you a bit better? Obviously, you know, you had to deal with a lot of people and circumstances. Do you think that might have helped a little bit in your refereeing? It helped little bits, but I think it was also a hindrance because um, refereeing has changed. The game has changed. If you look back 20, 30 years ago, most of the referees and our top referees were cops. You got your Colin Hawks, your Patty O'Briens, your your Bishops, um, all those guys. I think even um, uh, Mr. Watch, Andre Watson from South Africa was a cop as well. Um, and that, that was okay because you had that authoritative um, voice, black and white, these are the rules and everybody respected you. But the game has changed and referees can't act like that anymore. So um, I think it sort of helped me in terms of being able to make the tough calls, um, that helped me. But in general, when it came to confrontation situations, I'd put my police hat on and I'd get the old peacock feathers out. And if, if a player was argumentative, um, I, had, I had, I guess, a, uh, a tendency to, to react to that. Yeah, so obviously, you know, like you touched on, um, how did you then change from you know that that how you said about the peacock feathers and put your police cap on to how you are now and you know de-escalating the situation yeah well look when you're referring a game of touch that's okay so it's because it's really quick right um but when you go into rugby it's all about man management and if you haven't got that right you're gonna have a tough day and i got my butt kicked basically um and it happened um after my first season in the national squad and i went up um, to referee a uh, premier game in counties Manukau. Now, refereeing in counties isn't easy at the best of times. Uh, but in this game, I had four yellow cards within about 20 minutes. Uh, and I had my New Zealand coach there watching and, and basically said, what the hell is going on? Um, and we sort of talked through. And, and I thought I was right. I was going, look, they've committed offences. Um, you know, I was just reacting to that. The change of behaviour is on there, is, is their responsibility. And he said, Mate, if you're going to referee like that, you'll never you'll never referee another first class game again. Um, and Vinnie Munro gave me a call and gave me the exact same message and said, "You need to change. Uh, you need to. So this isn't a black and white game. And uh, and your attitude and in terms of the way you look at the game needs to change." So it took me a lot of soul searching to actually change that. And even now I struggle. I, 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 but it's a trigger I recognise. Um, and uh, I, sometimes when players, although. I'm reasonably well known, especially in the club area now, so players don't normally try to have a crack, but sometimes I feel myself starting to, start to get up, um, in which case I need to just uh, take a breath. And I think you guys have all AR'd for me. I'll always tell you to crack jokes, make me laugh. Mm. Um, you know, let, let's have a bit of fun because if I've got a smile on my face, I'm less likely to act like that. And, that, that, and that's how I basically changed it. And it's, um, it's certainly working. Awesome. Um... What do you enjoy about refereeing and why have you stayed in the game for so long? What do you mean so long? You make it sound like I've been doing it for bloody 50 years. Just because you look old. Oh, you're lucky, this, you're lucky this is a PC show and insurance wouldn't take up this uh, the opportunity to sponsor this. Um, <laughs> there's, two, there's two games that I referee and they both have their absolute um, stuff, reasons why I stick at it. And touch is the people involved. Um, touch is an absolute, when it comes to the referees, it's, the, it's definitely a whānau atmosphere. You know, when you go to a tournament, there are 90 referees that turn up and we all stay together and we all sort of, uh, as an absolute family atmosphere, and we go out there and we referee for each other. And it's something absolutely unique. Um, and it's not something that you get in touch, sorry, in rugby. In rugby, it's a quite a lonely game. You, you know, when you're traveling in the country, you're by yourself. Uh, and so forth, and um, you don't get that camaraderie that you do in touch. So I really love that aspect of touch. In rugby, it's a mental challenge. It's it's a game of chess for me, and I absolutely love it. When you go out there and you're doing a big game, uh, and it's entirely mental uh, um, in terms of how that comes out, and your battles with yourself. Uh, and I really love that challenge. So uh, look, as long as my body can um, can keep me going, and I'm telling you, it's getting harder and harder. <laughs> Sunday mornings, I wake up thinking, man, this is getting tougher each year. But as long as I can still go out there and referee a decent game, uh, I'm definitely going to stick around. I think we just hear me on mute, bro. Yeah, for that. Oh, I thought there were some more questions that were going to be asked, but I was wrong. Um, <laughs> JD, normally we ask referees um, how they adjust between sevens and fifteens, but because you're a touch ref, 
how do you adjust between rugby and touch? Yeah, look, that's that's something that, I, that I've actually struggled with um, at times, because, and that's why it's taken so long, I guess, to get for me to get to where I am today, because you've got two very, very different games that require two different styles of refereeing. So with touch, it's a fast-paced game. You don't get time to think. It's very black and white, and it's a very technically-minded game. So if an offence happens, you call it and you move on, and you don't get time to think about it. Um, with rugby, and in touch, you're doing a lot of talking. You're non-stop talking, where rugby is completely opposite. It's a mind game. You've got time. Um, it's about you know using effective communication and only talking when it's needed. And there was a battle there where you know I took some time off to to pursue my rugby side of things. For, so I took time off touch to pursue my rugby. And then when I went back to touch. I sort of tried to implement the rugby side of things and going, why are we talking so much? Why are we doing this? And why are we doing that? And, um, you know, that's not something that really it was my place to do. But I got I had the stage where I'm going, well, this is the way I'm going to referee if you don't like it, stuff here. Uh, and, of course, and then I was wondering why I was being ranked 12th or 19th or 20th, uh, 20s and things like that. And I was frustrated. And it wasn't until I actually, you know, saw and actually spoke to... Um, spoke to a very, very well-known touch coach uh, or touch referee coach and um, known as Grumpy Smith, Stu McDonald. Uh, and he sort of pulled me aside and sort of said, hey, um, you know, what's going on? Uh, look, you know, at the end of the day, you're a bloody good person, you're a bloody good ref, uh, but this is the way we do things. And we like some of the stuff that you bring over rugby, but this isn't rugby and this is the way it works. And it was a bit of a bloody um, wake-up call for me, actually, that I'm not bigger than the game, as hard for, as hard for you it is to believe. Um, but but at the end of the day, I had to change. Um, so now it's the absolute distinct um, things where I still bring my sort of um, little bit of attributes. So when I'm refereeing touch, I still have the mindset of I'm there to have fun. I'm there to put a smile on my face, keep the peacock feathers down, have a laugh, but do your job, get off. Uh, and in, and in uh, rugby, I'll bring some of the quick decision-making um, that I need to do in touch over in rugby. So it's not they're not mutually exclusive anymore, but it's about having that discernment to know where the limit is and uh, and do what's required. So you're just touching on the obviously your touch tier 15s and you know people try to switch off from rugby on a Sunday or you know in the in off season stuff like that. Did you find that having touch and 15s was easier for you to switch off and then focus? You know, like it gave you a bit of time away from refereeing, so you rugby 15s. So then you weren't overthinking how you referee. Uh, yeah, that's actually a very good question, Braden. Well done. I've never been asked that question. Um, <laughs> And I'd have to, I guess, think about the answer. But I guess, I guess, the reality is, um, because you're refereeing twelve months of the year, um, it's not like rugby where you referee rugby for you know six, seven months, and then you then you might want to do sevens or whatever. You have a break um, with um, with rugby and touch. You're refereeing at the top level twelve months of the year, so I don't think you ever switched off. Um, so there were times where you sort of, I guess, get uh, feel like you might be getting a little bit burnt out. But what was, what was really good is like when you move to touch and you do the touch, you go into that touch family atmosphere, it reinvigorates you. And then, you know, then touch finishes and then you start going, man, I'm really looking forward to rugby. Um, and then you get into rugby um, and do that. So um, I don't think um, it was a matter of switching off per se. It was just a matter of just having that switch in the brain, I guess, to, to change that sport. And you're always looking forward to that new opportunity, I guess. So just touching on that, um, on the touch again, um, how do you like as a week in refereeing? Obviously, you do your grow reports and stuff. Yeah. Um, what's that look like to you on a touch week? Like, is it yeah. the same or? Well, no, it's it's completely different, and it's actually something that we're trying to introduce in the touch, right? Um, so this is again crossing over, but this time I'm doing it. I'm, we're doing it in the right way, and it's actually something we're trying to do slowly. Um, but obviously, with touch, you're refereeing the module stuff, and there's very little preparation for that. You just turn up and referee, um, and, the, and the quality, I guess, um, isn't necessarily that high. But when you're refereeing at national level, it's just at three main tournaments. So leading up the tournaments, um, yes, we go in and um, we're trying to get more and more referees, I guess, to to have those goals going into ref, going into um, a national tournament, uh, and have those sort of um, like, like a grow report, I guess, have, have those goals and how they're going to achieve that and analysing their games and become more um, self-sufficient. And again, this is something that um, that rugby and touch do totally different. Um, and although touch, I think, has has a better recruitment strategy and the ability to bring 
um, young people through very, very quickly and still have them, you know, um, stay with us for a very long period of time. I mean, we have 12, 13, 14 year olds refereeing national games. Um, where rugby is is not like that, you know, you, if you come in at, you know, 15, 16, it's going to take you probably eight, nine years to, to get to where you want to be. Um, so touch does that really well. But then when it comes to the high performance thing, I think touch has a lot to improve, um, where uh, our coaching style is, is, and it's definitely changing, and it has changed over the last few years, which is fantastic, but it used to be more dictatorial. It used to be um, a coach would watch you in a game and say, this is what you need to do, this is what you need to do, this, and that's what you need to do. Where rugby is different, it's about, hey, this happened in the game. Um, why do you think it happened? Um, and then what that does is gets referees to start thinking and start analysing. When you start being able to analyse your game, you can make changes in the game when things don't go right. But with touch, if you're relying on other people to tell you what you're doing, you're never going to be able to have that um, ability. So um, what's really good and uh, with the high performance squads that, that was introduced a few years ago is that's what we're looking to introduce where our top end referees can now start thinking for themselves and um, and start self-analyzing. So if things don't go well, we can have that honest discussion to say, this isn't going well because I'm doing this, where maybe five, six, seven years ago, that wasn't the reality. Yeah. <clears throat> Pardon me. Um, you know, going between the two, there will always be some challenges within the game. So, like, how do you deal with those challenges and what do you do? Yeah, and as I think I said before, most of the challenges are, are mental and, and they're in your own sort of area uh, and, and something that you can help. And that's something I think we don't acknowledge enough in New Zealand. Uh, and, and I think, I mean, I've put Facebook posts in the past about mental health, which I think is really, really important because um, it, it's like an, by having some mental health issues, it's like an injury, you know, if you've got a sore calf or you've you got a, or you got a potential injured calf, you give that a rest and you get treatment before you go back on. But with mental health, we don't acknowledge that. And we've got referees out there, you know, who, who struggle through the week or, or something may happen and they go into the game with, with, with not thinking clearly um, or they've been struggling all year with mental health and it hasn't been acknowledged. So um, that would be, I guess, guess, my biggest challenge moving into, um, uh, and I know, I guess it's not funny uh, in terms of uh, trying to make jokes out of it and this is this, this is probably a little bit too deep, but um, I really encourage, I guess, um, you know, people to look after that because that's the biggest, biggest um, issue for me is you know getting mentally prepared being in the moment uh, and then after the game just de-cleansing and just um you know coming out the end uh, coming out the other end yeah 100 i like what you just said there you know referees meant to be a sole sport sport but um obviously you're with your team of three so when you get your time after the game and it's always good to have a catch up like i know after the prem final we went down to the, the pub and that was good to have a good catch up then um, so if you look back over your huge career you've had, would you call it a successful career or do you think you're still in the prime to excel further? Um, I think um, it depends who's asking that question, to be fair. If Bryce Lawrence is asking that question, then I'm absolutely in my prime and I'm ready for his phone call any time. <laughs> um, but uh, if it's not Bryce Lawrence and it's somebody else, um, I think um, the realities are in, in rugby, uh, um, from a refereeing point of view, I'm definitely not going to go any further. Um, I'm certainly um, looking to improve my skills as a TMO and hopefully um, uh, sort of step up um, a little bit more in that. But again, you know, there are dozens of TMOs in this country and um, they're all very, very good. So, you know, that's something that I need to work on and, and so forth. So from a rugby point of view, it's switching, I guess, from uh, running in the middle um, at, at a high level to, to more the analytical stuff on the side. With touch, I still have goals. Um, yeah, I reached my, um, I guess, goal to be number one in the country um, this year, and that's after 20 years of refereeing. Um, uh, but I still have goals at, at, at test match level uh, and world ranking level. So um, that's so I'm not so I wouldn't say I'm in my prime, but I'm certainly not past it yet. Um, you you just talk about Dusto. Um, there's many great TMOs in this country. Um, yourself and Gappy being in the Bay of Plenty. I noticed that you've been appointed to a lot more games than he has this season. Um, so, so is that a bit of a statement that they're making there? Well, Emmy, I am a humble man, as you know, and um, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to uh, speculate as to the reasons why I'm, why I'm getting the games. But um, I will point to the fact that I did do the premiership final last year, and um, he didn't. And again, it's not about who's better, um, but. 
Um, oh, look, all seriousness. Uh, look, Gappy's a fantastic uh, TMO. He's he's um, TMOing at um, Super Rugby level and Test levels where I aspire to be. So, um, in terms of who's the number one and and uh, Plenty, um, I'd definitely say that uh, he is from my point of view, and uh, you know I'd absolutely learn learn from him. But if if I was, I'd never tell tell that to his face because um, I've got to keep him honest. He'll he'll say that he's not available, but he's full of shit. Sorry, I can't say that. Uh, all good. Um, well, looking at the live video, it seems that we have a few uh, viewer questions, so we'll jump into them. Are you ready, Dusto? I am. All right, awesome. Well, we talked about this one before. This isn't from the live video. Uh, we got a message from someone on Instagram. Would you would love touch referee rankings explained in the podcast? Who ranks the referees and how can you objectively rank referees when it seems so so subjective. Hey, whoever put that in is a is fantastic, um, fantastic question. To be fair, um, but it's it's reasonably simple. So uh, we have tournaments, um, and in the tournaments we have about I guess um, not could have up to hundred referees. Um, so you sort of look at that and goes, how how do we rank hundred referees? Um, but the referee coaches and the coaching panel do a fantastic job. There's about um, ten of them that do it, and just bearing in mind that. Um, for a game of touch, there are three referees, uh, and we don't, we don't have a referee and touch judge. So there are three referees refereeing the game. So um, in most cases, every game during a national tournament has been watched by a coach. Uh, so the reality is, in most tournaments, um, in, in secondary schools, for example, you're ranking up to nine referees, um, and in juniors, you're probably ranking um, 12, and at um, masters and opens, you're sort of ranking 30 to 40 referees. And I guess the referee coaches have an understanding as to where people are placed over, over the years of refereeing. And then they'll go up and referee. And what they'll do is they'll make appointments to put, ref, put referees together. So if they wanted to um, uh, know, uh, sort of differentiate myself and George, for example, they'll put me and George in a game together and there'll be three or four coaches who will watch. Um, and what they do is they all come together um, when they make the appointments on the uh, Saturday night for the Sunday finals. Um, and they will all rank each other, and then they'll have robust discussions. And sometimes they'll start at nine o'clock in the in the evening and finish at four o'clock in the morning um, to try and rank nine referees. So I can I've never been in one of those meetings, but I'm told that they can be quite brutal. And so basically, that's how the rankings are done. So the best uh, game will get the top three referees. The second best game will get the next three referees, and so forth. Um, and so I guess at national at the opens, um, the men's open. Uh, is the is the number one game so you'd have one two and three uh, and then normally it's either the 30s men's um, but now that's sort of changed so that so I guess moves to the mixed open um, and, and and so forth so that, that's how they do it and there is a method to their madness and it's worked for the last 20 or 30 years um, and it's not something that um, I've had too much experience in in terms of how they rank but I know that's what they do that they have break points and they'll tip and uh, they sort of match referees with referees and go that way Sweet, I oh. think carry on, Heath. Oh, my bad. I thought someone was going to speak there. Well, well, this question coming from Sid, good old Sid. I think he's younger than John, eh? Um, What is your most memorable thing uh, in your refereeing career for you personally? Um, Probably having Sid on the sideline, uh, AR for me. Though. He is crap. <laughs> Why wasn't so he good. in the middle? Uh, well, to be fair, I think he's wishing um, the referee to get injured so he can jump in and um, take over the game. But uh, the, the most memorable thing for me, and I, and I think I touched on a little bit earlier, is um, uh, obviously doing, doing my first test match um, as a touch referee, uh, getting my referee, um, my New Zealand shirt from Bryce Lawrence and Glenn Jackson. Um, that, I mean, for me, that was quite emotional because I, I, um, I had Bryce as one of my, um, not mentors, but somebody that I looked up to. Uh, and and of course that uh, game in uh, Tonga, um, but look, to be fair, you could you could it's hard to limit to one. You could probably give thirty or forty because um, you know there are a lot of special moments that happen in games and so forth for different reasons. Um, and so, yeah, um, good question, Sid. I think it was asked about half an hour ago, but um, thanks for listening. What <laughs> <laughs> about the greeting game, JD? What's that? What about the Gretzen game? The Gretzen game? The, oh, yeah, which, which where one we was? recarded the player. 
Oh, slam the ball at the ground. Yeah. Were you AR in that game? Yeah, yeah. I'm a, bit, I'm a bit disappointed you didn't flag it. To be fair, because it was a blatant act of foul play. And can we hear the story, please? <laughs> yeah, and um, your total amount of red cards over your season, if you can still remember. This season, um, I've, <laughs> had, I've, had, I've had two red cards this season. One because somebody um, called me a female appendage. Um, Look, I appreciate that if this was taken to the court of law, they may have got off on the point that uh, truth is a, is a defense of defamation. But in this case, um, no, I'm pretty hot against referee abuse. So he uh, got the, got his marching orders. But the, the other one was, yes, our, our Greta mate. I did feel sorry for him afterwards. Um, I, I I'd awarded a penalty against his team. Uh, and he was just frustrated. And he had the ball and he threw the ball hard at the ground. Um, right at my feet, and the ball bounced up and cracked me in the face. And um, Jimmy, did you say serious during that? Sorry, <laughs> he was rolling around the ground laughing. You bastard! That's what I would have been known <laughs> as well. I was laughing. I won't lie. Mate, the guy, <laughs> the guy was like six foot six. He was six he made, foot six. He made, he made Dusto look like a baby out there. <laughs> made, me, made me cry like a baby. And then when he did it, I thought, "Oh, that guy's just throwing the bloody ball at my face." And um, so I caught him over. But when it happened, everybody went. Oh, and, and oh, swore. Yeah. They all went, oh, shit. Oh, that's that's no good. Um, and look, for me, I understand that it wasn't an, like he didn't mean to hit my face, but his actions were reckless enough for me to say, hey, look, you, you can't just throw the ball like that. The referee, it's hit the referee in the face. So that's a red card. But I'm glad I did write the report in a sympathetic way. And I think he got one week, I think, or, or something. Good thing like that. it hasn't affected your looks, AJD. Yeah, good point. I think it <laughs> scraped my nose a little bit. But the funny, <laughs> funny story with that one is after the game, he comes, be- he comes beaming for me. I don't know if you remember that, Hemi, but he, he basically brisk walked towards me and he didn't have a smile on my face. And I'm going, oh man, this is going to end absolutely poorly. And as Hemi said, he was like six foot four and probably 200 kgs. He, he literally grabs me and hugs me and lifts me up in a bear hug. And um, and he sort of said, oh, sorry, bro. Sorry, I'm really sorry. And I thought, oh, bro, yeah, we're all good. There's nothing personal in that one. <laughs> That's a memory. That's a memory. Um, so where do you see yourself in five years' time? And um, who's your biggest referee inspiration besides um, yourself? So. <laughs> <laughs> um, from, a, um, from a rugby point of view, I always wanted to model myself um, to Steve Walsh, Steve Walsh Jr. and Bryce Lawrence, right? Because they're two very, very different referees. Um, Steve Walsh, because of his management of players and the way that he interacts and, and I guess, makes it a game um, for everybody, you know. Um, so I really wanted to model myself on that. Then you look at someone like Bryce Lawrence, who, who I wouldn't say is technical, but he's more stern. He gets he demands respect. It's, his game's controlled and stuff. And I always thought if I can morph those two together, I think you'll have the perfect referee. Um, so those are my two absolute inspirations in my um starting off with my referee. Uh, in, in touch, I'll, I've got a lot of time for Glenn Newman. Um, he looked after me um, at, right at the beginning. Uh, and, you know, moving forward, um, you know, you've got uh, guys like um, Maya Williams, um, who is, was a world number one referee for a very, very long time. And he's a very, very good mate. And so he still continues to mentor me now. So, yeah, th- those are my three people that I really look up to. And, you know, it's sort of shaped who I am as a referee. So yeah, what about- in your opinion, mate, um, you, you've been a part of different eras of rugby and touch. Um, um, who, who do you think is the best person that you've seen throughout your career to ever take the whistle um, internationally, I should say? Oh, Nigel Owens by a long way. Um, I just, again, for the, for, the, for the reasons that I said before, he, he enjoys himself. So he goes out, he enjoys himself. In fact, that's probably who is an absolute perfect mould of Steve Walsh and, and Bryce Lawrence is. <laughs> is um, Nigel Owens, where he'll have a laugh, he has the respect, he's got the people's ability, he's got the people's respect and so forth, but he doesn't take any nonsense either. And, um, you know, people respect him. And uh, so I I think in every sport, if you have a Nigel Owens, um, you're going to go a long way. You got any one-liners like Nigel does? You know I do, Hemi. You've AR for me. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Side your KFC order. 
there was one time that uh, but i always tell you guys when you're ar for me because if i'm not doing a tv game and i haven't done one in a long time uh, and you're not mic'd up i always say don't you don't have to copy what i say when you go to the referee but i remember this one guy i think he, he was um for taronga uh, or Mount Monganui, and mate, he he was like he was a prop and he was built, and he came up with a scrum and he started complaining to me and sort of said, "Oh, that guy's boring in on me," and and I, maybe I shouldn't have said it, but I said, "I said, mate, have you seen the size of you? There is no way um, anybody like you should be pushed around." And he sort of goes, "Oh, fair enough, ref," and he never complained again. So I'm full of one-liners, you know that. <laughs> Some of them I can't repeat though, to be fair. Yeah. Um. Mate, if I'm being honest, I don't know who wrote this question, um, but I'm going to ask it. Who's older, you or Sid? <laughs> you, can't, you can't make up your own questions, bro. I don't know. No, honestly, I didn't ask it. There's a text in from someone, but we won't mention the name. It'd be bloody gappy. If it's anything about my ears or my hairline... It's gonna be good. <laughs> that was uh that was a good conversation, friendly uh, ad in the changing rooms at Tottenham Domain. I do remember that one. Um, that was, that the glare off the head, I think, was a, a big talking point, wasn't it? And I, look, I'm quite self conscious, as you as you understand, as you could understand. I mean, you guys can't understand. You got a nice full head of hair, but yes, certainly, um, the time has not blessed me well with. Uh, I've got hair bloody everywhere else, but uh, except my head. <laughs> 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 oh my god. Crikey. Oh god. Uh, um, actually um, we've got one here from Scott Jones, Scotty Jones. Um what's your favorite touch game you refereed or your favorite rugby game that you've refereed? Oh, my favorite touch game. Like I've probably refereed over a thousand touch games, so it's uh, hard to put, but um obviously my first test match was um was really special to me. Um, and it's it, 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 obviously standing there and listening to national anthems is always special. Um, but I don't think I can go past uh, my first men's open game, um, which was last last year at Touch, uh, and my first game as New Zealand's number one. Um, that was special uh, when I got to kick off uh, the game, um, where you know I never thought I'd do a, a men's open game, uh, and I've done two in two years, and um, hopefully not my last. Um, so th 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 those probably two are very, very special uh, to me. With rugby, um, probably my first first-class match um, was down in, down in um, Greymouth. It was West Coast versus South, South Canterbury. And, um, and uh, Vinnie Munro came to watch me and um, his, his words of advice, which I cannot say, but apparently he says it to everybody, it's um, essentially don't stuff it up. And you know, for not not that I get not that I was nervous, but you know, when you're sort of wanting to impress, and that's the, that's his word of advice. It certainly puts you back back in your place. But uh, yeah, but I love game. I love game of rugby where lots of tries are scored. There's nothing like doing a game where you know it's you know forty points, to breaks, thirty eight, and things like that. Sweet. Nah. Um, I've just got a question here. Um, there were some touch referees on the multi TV doco recently. Is challenging sideline behaviour an issue for you when refereeing, and how do you deal with this? Oh man, yep, absolutely. And, and um, they were all my friends. Um, the lost lot on the league referees, um, but there are also a couple of our friends too. I guess um, Tiana and uh, Estelle. Um, it's it's it can affect you, um, obviously, and I guess there has been a culture. Um, Within the Kiwi society, or, or I guess in sports in general, where you know because you yell and scream at the referee from from watching your TV, that it gives you an inherent right to yell and scream uh, from the sideline. Uh, and there was a period of time that it, I guess it did affect uh, affect me because you know you go out there and you're literally a volunteer uh, and you're trying to give up your your day um, or to referee, um, I guess, a game of rugby, and you you're getting called homophobic slurs, you've been called all sorts of things. Um, thank goodness for me over the last few years that hasn't been the case uh, obviously when you when people start to get to know you and stuff it's a little bit better but I, I go and watch games where I see young people especially do it refereeing young games under 14s under 12s and you've got parents on the sideline yelling and screaming abuse at the referee it makes me sick and I'll quite often go up to them and say look that's, that's just unacceptable 
Um, and how do you deal with it? Um, I guess each their own, I guess um, that's very, very difficult, but you need to take, take it into context that um, they're not yelling at you as a person. Um, they're yelling at the, at the, at the uniform. Uh, and the reality is, you know, when you get situations where parents expect super rugby referees to referee the under 12 games, um, you're never going to beat that. Uh, in rugby, I think we're blessed. We're absolutely blessed in rugby where we've got awesome provincial unions. They are plenty. Uh, for example, don't take, don't, do not mess around with that sort of stuff. And we've seen some big suspensions uh, for people who, who, who have, um, you know, abused referees. Um, obviously, what, the most what we saw there on uh, in that doco was was league referees. And I've been to some league referees, and and without you know throwing them under the bus, I know that they have a lot of work to do. Um, to sort of curb that out. And I know there is a lot of work being done, uh, but I just hope and pray that those referees stick at it because it's not personal. Uh, it's tough, um, but if you just try and try and, and having a thick skin is, is not the right way because we shouldn't have to have a thick skin. Exactly. Uh, but um, you need to understand that it's not personal. And in fact, if you saw them down the street without your referee gear on, they'd probably be the nicest people in the world to you. So um, keep at it. Um, talk to people. Don't hold it in. Um, you know, uh, again, with rugby, you're sort of you, you're you're on your own a lot of the time, especially in club rugby and things like that. You know, you referee game, you get abused, and you go home. Uh, you know, don't be afraid to pick up the phone and say, "Hey, look," even give me a call to say, "Hey, JD, I've just had a really tough game today where I was abused," and let's talk through that. Um, and it's about reaching out, and you need to do that. If you don't do that, um, we're just going to lose referees. Simple as that. And we don't want to lose referees. We've got some awesome bunch of people doing what, doing what they do. Exactly. Well, moving away from that, um, you know, you've talked about <laughs> you've had some uh, your favourite moments and your you've had some real highs. What's your most embarrassing moment? <laughs> Any sport, apart, apart from being hit in the face, um, with yeah, and gritting. You've already said that. Uh, yes. Hey, look, the most obviously um, falling over is always a um, always a tough one to sort of swallow. Um, in touch, it's a little bit more obvious. Uh, when you fall over and you slip over, I know my mate George Heswell's probably if he doesn't yeah. fall over at least once a game, um, he's he's um, probably hasn't had a good game. Um, making the an absolute wrong decision um, where you know you've made the decision, and you think, oh heck, um, that's not the right call, uh, and you have to apologise and say, sorry guys, I got that wrong, and I and I did that once in a game rugby club rugby in Thames Valley where I caught a player offside, I've penalised them, then realised that. Um, actually the other team had the ball so he wasn't offside and uh, I stopped and said I totally apologise and of course you know then you hear your bloody abuse on the sideline but you got to take that on the chin because you made a dicky mistake um, but yeah those would be my embarrassed ones is falling over or making absolutely cocked up decisions where even I can't even understand what I did. Uh, so just going back to um, when you were a police officer have you got any stories from when you were a police officer that you can share with us? <laughs> Not really. I think if I was a cop now, I'd be bloody arrested. Um, we, we didn't necessarily have uh, too many people with uh, phones, with cameras and so forth. Um, uh, but my, my career as a cop, um, I, I'm an absolute crap magnet, and I was. Um, I've been thrown off the Auckland Harbour Bridge. I've been hit by a car twice. Um, I've been stabbed. Uh, you can Google me and um, I was stabbed. And the reasons why cops are wearing vests today is because um, I was dead and no, they weren't um, rugby supporters. Um, so yes, uh, we probably, little, the little said about that, the better, but um, look, I enjoyed my time in the police. Um, it was great. I sort of moved on for other reasons. Um, I got another opportunity um, in the legal side of things. So I took that up, but uh, yeah, I'll, I'll give you all the stories you want um, off here um, over a couple of drinks. Sounds good to me. Sweet as mate. And um I've actually been wondering this too, mate. Um, have you sorted out KFC's 11 secret spices? Tell you what, you'd probably just have to lick my sweat that I have. After I go. <laughs> mate, mate, remember I'm 17. I'm 17. <laughs> mate, you, you look 32, so I apologise. apologise for getting it wrong. Uh, mate, I, I couldn't give a rat's backside what's in it. It just tastes absolutely delicious. <laughs> That is a great answer. <laughs> great answer. Um, let's have, I'll just have a look and see if we've got any more um, live questions. we got one here from Harley Ward. JD, what advice would you give to a young referee who wants to be hashtag number one? 
Good question, uh, Harley. Have fun. Um, and I think we sort of forget about that when we go into refereeing at a young age. And I, I remember Sam Kane saying this, you know, uh, same thing. And I know Sam and I um, think along the same lines. We're both elite athletes, as you know. Um, but have fun. Uh, when you go out there, um, know why you're doing it. And that's really important um, to know your why. And uh, put a smile on your face. And whatever it will be, will be. So that's, that's what I'd absolutely um, encourage. If you get that fundamental right uh, and you work hard at everything else, I have no doubt that you'll get to where you want to be. Mm. I think, is that all the live questions, is it? I believe so. Sweet. So moving to the final question, mate. What advice would you give to other referees, rugby or touch? Is that like the same question that was asked like 10 seconds ago? No. Oh, I'm not sure. I, I, I think... <laughs> Have you got caught off right. guard? What's, what's the best advice you can give, mate? No, look, many years of, of experience. Just, just have fun, my bro. Um, uh, and I think... Um, uh, don't refer... Yeah. Referee for the game. Don't referee for yourself and have fun. So, and what I mean by that is I remember... Um, uh, Garrett Williamson, I don't know if you remember him, he was a professional referee a few years ago, and he took me under his wing when I first made the national squad. And he said to me, um, where referees go wrong is they need to be a servant to the game. They're not the most important person on the field. Uh, and, and that sort of hit home for me because we're always told, right, that you can't have a game without a referee uh, and that um, and the referee is really important. And that is true. But if you as a referee go into referee a game with that mentality, um, the chances are things aren't going to go well. But if you go with the mentality of I'm there to facilitate a game between two teams, whatever whatever code you're referring, and I'm not there to be seen or I'm not there to prove a point, I'm not there to prove to everybody I know every law book, I'm there to facilitate two teams to have a good game, I can assure you um, things will work out for you. And, um, and, you know, if that's the mentality, you'll go a long way. Guarantee it. Awesome advice there from an uh, old folk. What the... <laughs> hey, come on, come on, Garrett. Yeah, Garrett. He's, he's getting on a bit now, I'm sure. Oh, what a great show. Um, it's time to wrap it up as that's all the time we have for tonight. Um, thank you all for the ongoing support and amazing contribution from you, the viewers. Um, make sure to check out our Instagram, Facebook, and Spotify. So, again, thanks heaps for joining, guys, and we'll see you for our next podcast. Cheers.